Welcome, people. We're back in front of an episode. Um, it's me, your boy, Dez, and we've got JT down there. Uh, we've got a very special guest for you guys today in um, Aiden Sires. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, tell the people a little bit about you. Thank you, gents. Um, my name is Aidan Sires. I'm a Great Britain and England international 100 meter runner. Also done the four by one and the 60. They all go hand in hand, really. I'm also a sports performance coach and a coach tutor for England athletics as well. So I do a lot of different things. But yeah, that's about it in a nutshell. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Um, so to start off with, how did you get involved in athletics? Oh, like from the beginning. Most people really just was fast at school. Yeah. Mum took me down to yeah. my local athletics club, and the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Did you sort of? Um, how was that sort of transition from? What What age were you when you started? Actually, I think I was probably about eleven when my mum took me down to Croydon Area for the first 11. time. Yeah, okay. about 11 years old, yeah. When did you see your big kind of jump? When did you sort of see the, the big improvements in yourself in these times? Do you know what? It wasn't... I wouldn't say there was, there was a moment where I saw that. I think for me, I was so far ahead of my peers that it wasn't really competition. I mean, I'd always been racing two, three, four age groups up at school competitions. Wow. I mean... I was the fastest kid in my school when I was in year eight. So it wasn't, there was no kind of, I trained and trained for a few years and then all of a sudden got to 13 and was as good as I was so far ahead of everybody else. So it wasn't really until um, I got to English schools. It was my first English school. And um, mm. I was ranked number two in the country going into the championship. And mm. I came up against the most formidable child athlete of all time in Mark Lewis Francis and he absolutely destroyed uh. me in the game. he absolutely destroyed me again in the semi-final by the time the final came around my head had imploded yeah. I think yeah. I came like seventh or something I think the time and Mark didn't even run the final he, he hurt his hamstring in the relay because we used to have the relay heats before the 100 meter final back then yeah. and, and I, I should have won that final because he wasn't in it by a mile. Like the, on time, yeah. no one was near me. What I ran in the heat was quicker than what the final was running. And I just, yeah, it just, I crumbled. <laughs> because I'd never been beaten yeah. before. Yeah. And I think the shock wow. that someone had the audacity to <laughs> beat me. <laughs> yeah, so that would have been the moment for me where I thought, whoa, maybe there's still work to do. And I would have been 15, I think. That would have been the first time I ever lost a race. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So from that on, um, obviously you would have had under 17, etc. Mm -hmm. When you got to sort of that under 20 level, what, how did it go then? What was the next kind of push on? What were the competitions you then were able to introduce yourself to? What were the new experiences? Any changes yeah. in coaches or training? Um, obviously you're growing up as well. So you're going through body changes, maybe mm -hmm. getting taller, stronger, broader, those sort of things. Well, I didn't really get much taller, so that wasn't a problem. <laughs> but, um, 
I think what it was in my first year as a junior, um, well, leading up the year before, I actually had a really serious, well, I didn't think it was a serious accident at the time, but it turned out mm. that it was. Um, the way I broke my collarbone, falling around my friend, and the way the bone broke was up against my heart, my lungs, oh, God. the major artery. Which they only gave me a 50-50 chance of surviving the operation. So my first year as a junior, just that transition from, so the year before, sorry, so we were talking kind of under 17, I didn't really get to compete. So going into my first year as a junior, I was very, very rusty. I hadn't had the smooth transition from under 17 to my first year at under 20. Mm. Um, so it was, I found it quite difficult mm. I didn't race much yeah. because these times I still play football um, so I didn't really have much of a season I did go to the British Junior Championships but I was quite sick in the week the week yeah. leading up to it I had some allergic reaction and I was in the hospital on the Tuesday or something like that and I raced on the Saturday and literally I think I ran about 10 meters and I, I just couldn't I just had nothing in me um, so my first year as a junior was a bit of a write-off really um, but my second year was much better. Um, won in the English schools championships, uh, came third at the British Junior Championships and got selected as part of the squad for the European Juniors that year. So that was a massive wow. year for me. Right. Um, yeah, it was good. I so enjoyed what, it. Yeah. So what were, the <laughs> steps, what were the steps you took from like going from that injury and like that really rough period? Because obviously you stated before that you were taking Ws all the time. And it was only that one time at English schools. Mm -hmm. So how did you take, like, what were the steps you took to actually get back to actually recovering and having a good second year? I just worked harder. Simple. I think I'd, knowing what I was up against at that level, yeah. I thought I really have to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah. So I just, you know, just applied myself a bit more in the training session. Right. But I didn't increase my volume of training or anything like that. I just, did as I was told from my coach. So mm. my coach said, these are the times you're training, go and train. Right. And I think back then I was a bit of a, a party boy. So <laughs> I, was, I, like, I like being out. I like being out with my friends. Yeah, yeah. And this is the days, this is going back a long time. So you could get into nightclubs and stuff underage. And not that I advocate that kind of behavior, but <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved it. So I probably didn't, I probably didn't take it as seriously as I should have. Although when I was at training, I worked right. really, really hard and at competitions, I was very focused. But in terms of my lifestyle, I didn't understand what a professional lifestyle looked like. Oh, so the balance um, was hard to find. Right. I didn't have anyone. Yeah. To, yeah. I didn't have anyone to get that from mm -hmm. at the time. Um, and what happened is a few of my friends who were also athletes who were a bit older than me um, were hearing that I was out a lot, basically, <laughs> and told me off. I'm like, hey, really? you can't be doing this. You've got to be serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, literally, my friend would ring me and be like, why are you out? And I'm like, uh, I'm not. And I'm just <laughs> like that. Mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. London is a small place. London is a small place. <laughs> like, oh, I heard you in Cafe Paris. <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, no. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. I, but fortunately, I had a lot of talent, and right. 
but I got away with it. Mm. I think I could, I could have done more. Um, and in hindsight, you know, I would have done things differently, but I didn't know any better at the mm. time. Mm. So yeah, it was an interesting, an interesting transition because it came very easily. I was just, you know, just kept running, just kept running, right. kept running, kept running. And, you know, I think when I first ran for Great Britain, I trained twice a week. Tuesday, Thursday at my club. Was it? There wasn't any strength conditioning. I saw a physio if I got hurt. Um, no sports massages, anything like that. It was just put your spikes on. Couple. Well, you do your high knees and heel flicks first, and then do your one twenties or your blocks or your tire pulls and go and race, and then go and win. You know, county championships, wow. something like that. Like you didn't. Wow. You know, think, I think there was a few times. I turned up to club competition off three hours sleep. <laughs> what? Like it was, oh. Mad. Yeah, not good, not good, not Mad. good. It's not a good example to follow. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I was doing. Wow. That's what I was doing. Wow, wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, the fact that you said two days training a week competing for GB. Mm. Um, mm. For any GB athletes that watch this, junior athletes, like they'll look at that and be like, "Oh my goodness!" Because these days it takes a lot more <laughs> to get to that because mm-hmm. the That's standard cool. being set and all things like that, like it's crazy. And the things you said about not getting any physio, no massages, no anything like that—that's really interesting. Um, and that's kind of a topic we can branch into. These mm. days, athletes kind of feel like they need it all the time. This goes yeah. for seniors yeah. as well as juniors. Like before a session, after a session, during a session, you go to a competition, they're getting it before a race, after a race, uh, before they leave, all that type of stuff, and they feel like they, they have to get it. Um, so what's your mm. kind of opinion on all of that? Have you, have you noticed that as well? And, and what do you think about the repercussions oh, of something the change, like that? The change has been drastic. Um, you know, juniors now effectively a, a full-time athlete, um, which is fine. I think it's, you know, if, if it's constructive for them and what they want to do, I think it's great that they can apply themselves so diligently at such a young age. I think that's remarkable and a testament to the young athletes that go and do that. Um, I do believe in there should be balance to life, especially at that age. Um, you can put a lot into this and not get anything out, but you have to roll the dice. You have to back yourself that you're going to go on and, and achieve great things in the sport. Mm. At the same time, I feel it's important to have other interests um, to balance it and make sure you're not missing out on your youth because you only get it once. Yeah, yeah. Um, and once it's gone, trust me, it's gone. <laughs> so, um, in terms of the massage and physio, I think you don't want to be in a position where you're over-reliant on these things. I think you have to make sure that if your body's in a good place, generally through conditioning and a well-balanced training program, you shouldn't be getting too much too many issues, whereas you need constant therapy, um, mm-hmm. especially with young athletes. I think as you get older and you start putting more forces through your joints and tendons and muscles, there's more wear and tear. I think when you're a young athlete, I think the focus should be on a well-balanced training program first and foremost, good nutrition, good sleep. They'd be you know, the three pillars, so to speak. And then in terms of, you know, tapping into the physio, but more using it for assessment and screening to make sure that your body's healthy mechanically in the right place. I think if your conditioning program is good and thorough, it should be able to 
to take care of a lot of these issues before before they arrive. And your coach's eye, the coach needs to be paying attention to your mechanics and so on and so forth every session to make sure that nothing's going on. That could be a potential issue down the line. Um, and then just an athlete taking responsibility. So doing your stretching, foam rolling, you know, just getting on your golf ball, tennis ball, whatever it may be. I think that's, you know, athletes should start there. Mm-hmm. How can you, how can you yeah. take care of yourself? Because unless you're in a position where you've got a really big sponsor and you're very high profile and maybe you've got the backing of British athletics, you won't be able to take those services with you when you go abroad to compete. And I think sometimes people miss because they don't understand what being a senior really looks like. They don't understand that it's not the same as being a junior. You know, as, as a junior you're coming up, you've got a lot of support from your club and your family, etc., cetera, um, and your coach. But as you move through that, remember there's only a few slots available for funded athletes. So you can be a world-class athlete and not be funded, regardless of your event. You have to be self-sufficient. Um, so what you're going to do when, let's say you are funded, you do have those services, what does it look like then when they're not there for you, that support network isn't there? Are you still going to be able to continue to achieve and improve? And the only way to really do that is to make sure that you know what to do, you know how to look after your body, you know how to be self-reliant in a sense. And I think by protecting athletes too much, you're kind of setting them up for a fall down the line. Um, You have to kind of let them go out there and take slaps because in this sport, you're going to get beaten. Nobody goes undefeated. No one. Sooner or later, you know, there's ups and downs in sport and, and you have to prepare athletes mentally for that. Because you can be the number one junior, mm. get to senior, can't win anything. Because it's a different ball game. You know, young athletes get ready for junior champs. Senior athletes are ready all the time, virtually. So it's, it's a different ball game. The consistency is there from senior athletes. That level of performance every week. If you look at the Diamond League, when a couple of years ago when CJ Uja won the Diamond League, Every week, 10-0-9-9, 10-0-9-9. What junior does that? You see all the, the, you know, the world-ranking juniors. They're not on a circuit like that. It's, it's a different level. That professional thing is different. Um, and that's why you don't see that much of a high turnover, especially in the sprint, to, to replicate their success as a junior to senior. Because it's, it's a different thing. So yeah. Mm. Wow. I'm learning a lot today. Boy, I've got massive respect for athletes like yourself. And like there's like I don't know how like in terms of physical aspect, there's a lot that goes into it and the mental side as well. Because, you know, a mm. lot is needed mentally in order to in order for you to actually achieve that greatness. So in terms of like mental aspect, because you obviously you've obviously talked about nutrition and training your body and actually getting used to um taking control and knowing yourself, um, knowing yourself, how your body operates and Mm-hmm. that kind of stuff how do you channel mentally because obviously sport is obviously physical but mentally it's it's very important to be in the right frame of mind so how do you go about um strengthening yourself up here practice practice um it's not always easy when i was a young athlete i would take defeats 
very badly, very, very badly. Um, but as you get older and you mature, you understand that you shouldn't internalize these things as much. Sometimes people are just better than you and you have to hold your hands up mm. and you have to go away and, and work on things that, that need improvement. You've got to work smarter, not always harder. Sometimes it's harder, but sometimes it's smarter. Um, you know, it might be a technical issue. And as I said, you don't win everything. So sometimes you've got to say, okay, they're better than me today, but you have to come back better tomorrow. And if anyone does beat you, they should have to run their absolute best every time. Right. You know, you've got to have the mindset that you're there to win. Yeah. And well, if you get beat, you get beat. But for example, if you were to run a personal best and you came fifth, it's the best day of your life. You've never run better than that. Mm-hmm. You didn't get anywhere near the win. You might have got beat by three, four tenths. Mm. So is it a bad day? Is it, it's, winning is extremely important because if you, if you want to be a champion, you have to win. It's that simple. But you can still be a great athlete without winning. You can still be better without winning. You can still improve without winning. And I think we put so much emphasis on the win, on those Ws. I think that's very much the world we live in now is about winning, 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 winning. Don't have to win to be great. But ultimately, we're competitors. Of course, we want to win. Of course, that's what we strive for. We do need that. I'm not dismissing the importance of winning and being the best or the number one. If you want to be the champ, you need to be the best. Um, But there are steps sometimes to get there. Usain Bolt didn't win his first Olympics. He didn't make the final. He went on to be arguably the best, well, he is the best, 100 meter runner of all time best 200 meter runner of all time he didn't win the first the first time if he took that to heart and internalized it too much and maybe didn't have you know the character to come back and improve we we wouldn't know the sport today as it is because Usain Bolt in that sense wouldn't have existed and we've seen it so many times you know good juniors maybe fail at the first hurdle and mm. don't come again. Because mm. maybe mm. it's not a talent thing. Perhaps it's a mental resilience issue. Mm. And they're not used to right. taking losses. Often, the best senior is the guy who used to cut fourth and third at junior levels because that athlete is able to build resilience. Yeah. Um, i never forget um, Jeanette Kwachi, the Olympic uh, finalist in the 100 metres at Beijing. Our first British female sprinter in a in a final for donkeys years. Now uh, we were in juniors together. She was never the number one, ever. Not nowhere near it really. Wow. She's in a relay squad, very talented athlete, obviously. But the rest of the girls each year fell away till it was just her and a few others, and she continued to progress, and she became one of Britain's most successful female sprinters of all time probably until Dina turned up wow so it's yeah you know people shouldn't get hung up on not being the best junior yeah or, or not winning everything it, it sometimes mm. it, sometimes it's your day sometimes it isn't it took me to win my English school's 100 meters it took me like three attempts my third chance Mad. on the, mm. the first time my wow. head went fair enough the second time, it was just one of those days I ran a good race 
couple of guys ran the race of their life. We all right. dipped. I came fifth. It was one of those. You know, we'd have run the race 10 minutes later, I'd have won it or come second or got a bronze. It was just one of those days. I didn't take it to heart. I ran well. Next time, won it by a mile. So it's, you know, it's just one of those swings and roundabouts in sport. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Great. That's great. That then kind of takes me to ask, what do you think um, are the things that sort of British athletics and sprinters now, the seniors, etc., need to be doing more of? Because you see, you go, you watch the champs like Doha, um, which just mm-hmm. went obviously last year, um, London 2012, Rio 2016. Uh, the European champs, all these champs. What do you think the British team in general, sprints first and then kind of in general, need to do to kind of boost the amount of medals, boost the amount of finals appearances? Because a lot of people kind of touch on the fact that they think too much funding is placed into relay schemes, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted to hear your kind of opinions on all of that and what you think British athletics really needs to do or what coaches need to do or what athletes need to do to really Mm. be contending with the other nations like the Chinese, the Americans, the Jamaicans who just have been constantly kind of running the game ever Mm. since the dawn, really, ever since Mm. athletics, all these competitions came about. I think... I think Dina puts a spanner in the works there because she's winning a lot. She's cleaning up and she is a tremendous athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. In terms of the... Because I've got to put Dina... Somewhere else right now, but park her in a different box. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, she's a yeah. different athlete. Yeah. I think for the rest of the, the, the sprinters, it's really about patience. I think we need to understand where they are in their careers. Um, many of them haven't had 10 years solid yet. Um, if you take uh, Reese, for example, Reese Prescott, he suffered a lot of injuries through his juniors and under 23s, and it's taken him a while to get going. Now, he's been right. extremely competitive at senior level over the past two years. It's two years. And remember, he's up against other great sprinters. Yeah. You can't be slacking once you get to that level. And maybe it just hasn't been his time yet. I think we, we, he might need another year. He might need another, well, especially after the pandemic year, he probably might need another two till he's peak. And then he can really contend for medals. I think we've seen with Zarnell over the last 18 months that he can compete at the highest level now. And maybe it's just another winter he needs till he's in the mix for medals. But he's certainly capable, without question, as is Reese. Yeah. Um, CJ's had his injury issues, but him doing so well in the Diamond League has told you that he can perform with these guys at a consistent level. Um, he, he's yet to do it in a World or Olympic. But I, I believe that will come because if you come in the Diamond League, you, you're in the mix. You've got to be in the dance. Mm. And I believe he probably should have made the final that year at the Champs and he didn't. But, you know, I don't know what was going on with him. So, but he still had a great season nonetheless. And I just think generally we need to be patient. I think we live in a time where everyone wants instant gratification. Yeah, and it just doesn't work like that. If yeah. you look at our best sprinters, it took time. Yeah, look at Limpford, thirty-two, when he won the Olympics, thirty-two. Now, if he was running now, he wouldn't have got any yeah. support. He wouldn't have been helped because of his age. They would have said, "Nah, the ship has sailed. He's not going to do anything." Yeah. Blah 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 blah. 
because mm. of the ageism in sport. Mm. But he's You're our right. most successful sprinter of all time, bar none. Oh. And yeah. he was in his 30s when he peaked. I remember 36, he made the Olympic final as well. Mm. And obviously, you know, famously got disqualified. But 36 years old, Olympic final, mm. defending mm. champ. He's ready to defend his title, you know, got mm. through, he was there, top eight. So I think we need an element of patience in the sport and to understand that we need to give these athletes time to develop and the space, especially mentally, because physically it's just work. Yes. You know, you do the right things, work on your acceleration, work on your strength, your technique, yeah, yeah, fine. But it's more the mental side of it. Right. How do you expect an athlete to right. win the Olympics if they've never been to an Olympics before? You've got to give athletes right. opportunity to compete, maybe see what it's like soak up the atmosphere. And I think champs like the Europeans and Commonwealths, we need to kind of blood more young athletes. Or not, not necessarily young athletes, but just other athletes. Give other people a chance. If you've got an athlete who consistently runs 10-1, but they're not maybe in the top six, or maybe give that guy or girl the opportunity to to see what it's like. Maybe run at Europeans. Maybe the rounds at that level takes them to tenor. Maybe that's what builds their confidence. You know, maybe you take a triple jumper who's jumping 1680, 1690. If you look at triple jump at the moment, not everyone's jumping 80 meters anymore. You know, you can make finals of 17 lows now. So maybe you give them the opportunity to, to jump. You know, the guys who are jumping seven nineties in the long jump. Yeah, it's not eight meters, but maybe in a full stadium with 50,000 people, rather than doing it at British Champs, that's half the stadium's empty. Maybe that's not the right <laughs> environment for them to get that 810, that 820. Mm. So give these guys and girls the opportunity because they've shown you time and time again that they can, once they get a chance, they can deliver. We've seen it, you know, who was the guy in the 800 a couple of years ago? Young guy. Oh, Langford? Langford. Come on. Like, that, was, that was world class. He went from good junior to world class athlete in months because he got the opportunity. And yes, he'd run fast enough to qualify, but he took his opportunity and he really thrived in that environment. He really thrived in that environment. So it's, yeah, you've got to give guys and, and girls the chance to, to be world-class. Unless they're exposed to that, it's unlikely it's going to happen. You can't take someone from, you know, the Lee Valley Open meets, throw them in a diamond league and expect them to just, you know, you've got to give people a chance. You've got to yeah. give, you know, athletes the opportunity. Wow. Um, okay. Coaches, I think coaches need to, I think often stick to their guns sometimes. I think it's very easy to get swayed by what other coaches are doing. Um, I think a lot of coaches need to believe in themselves a bit more. I think athletes need to be believe in their coaches a little bit more, give coaches a little bit more time. Um, yeah. You know, spend more time nurturing those relationships because I think that's really important. And I think sometimes that gets a bit lost um, at the performance level. It's, you know, you don't need to necessarily be with the best coach. Um, you need to be with the best coach for you. 
mm. and that can come in different shapes and forms. And again, I'll use Dina Asher Smith and her coaches as an example. You know, he's not a renowned sprint coach at the at the highest level, but look what he's doing. He's produced the best mm. female sprinter the UK's ever seen. So it, you know, sometimes have faith in your coach and maybe you go on that journey together. Maybe as a coach, you don't want to be afraid to reach out for help. I think sometimes coaches are a bit afraid of that because they think a coach is going to steal their athlete, which happens. Poaching in this sport is rife. Um, so sometimes coaches are reluctant to get the ideas yeah. and examples that could really help their athlete. So right. it's, a, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. Okay. Wow. That's, that's actually really interesting. And it's very true in, in what you're saying. We have to give each other time. Um, I haven't quite made that gap to seniors yet. I've still got a bit of time. Obviously, I'm hoping to do so. Um, but a lot of what you said, I've been very blessed. I haven't had some very hefty injuries that have kind of impeded me so far. And I'm going to be praying um, that that doesn't happen because it can be definitely very tough. But a lot of what you said has been very useful. Um, the next question I kind of have to ask is, so what are you doing currently now? And are, are you coaching as well? Are you, are you still competing? Are you still training? And um, the, the current knowledge you have now and the brain and the access you have, you have now, if you would have had that same access back when maybe you were a junior or early senior, what difference do you think that would have made to your career? I'll take that last, that last question first. Um, I think it would have made a massive difference. A massive difference. Um, you know, with all respect to my coach when I was a junior, I don't think he he had the depth of knowledge that I've acquired now. Um, and he was fantastic for me. I must stress that because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have even got this far. Um, right. You know, he's the guy who was with me when I got my first vest and stuff, and just a great yeah. guy. We had a great relationship, so I have to big him up. Um, but I suffered an awful lot of injuries during that time. And I think a lot of it could have been avoided. One, you know, me taking more responsibility for myself and my lifestyle. Um, but also just in terms of the training plan and implementing some conditioning and things like that, um, that just weren't there at the time. Um, I just ran fast and went home. It's literally it. Um, I didn't do any real gym probably until I was like 19, 20. Um, which is mad, you know. So I think, yeah, I think it would have made a massive difference. Um, yeah, um, I'll probably be the Usain Bolt that everyone's talking about. <laughs> no, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, I just think I could have, I, I could have done better. Yeah, I could have yeah. done better, but it is what it is. So you know, no, no regrets. I enjoyed my time. Mm. Um, yes, I'm still running. Um, trying to salvage something from this lockdown season. Um, I yeah. take every year as it comes at the moment. I, I don't necessarily have crazy plans for, for the future. Um, it, my career is definitely drawing to a close. Um, but you never know, you're only one race away from going, actually, I might just uh, <laughs> keep going. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I always say to myself, once I start running slow, I'll stop. Um, but I've still been able to squeeze out decent times every year. So mm. hence why I'm still doing it. Um, That's good. Coaching-wise, 
just coaching people mainly from other sports. So football, rugby tends to be my main sport. Fair enough. Um, nice. On their running mechanics and speed, power, conditioning type stuff, movement. Yeah. Um, I'm big on movement. Yeah. Because I'm a big believer in if you can maximise your physical potential, you're more able to maximise your technical potential. Right. Um, and the two go hand in hand. If you're able to, physically you're in a good place, you can express yourself. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I think, you know, conditioning, strength and, and physical issues are, are the number one stumbling block for not maximising potential, I, I believe. Um, okay. So, yeah, I'm big on yeah. helping people with that. Um, I do motivational talks um, from time to time. I do some education stuff for England Athletic. So I tutor the sprint coaches on their final module. So when they're doing their British Athletics qualification, I'm the tutor on their final module to make sure that they're competent enough to help athletes. So I just try and advise wow. them. Wow, you do a lot. <laughs> as, as best wow. I can. Mad. Yeah, do you know what? It's, it's a big, it's really important to me. It has been really important to me because I think I can only coach so many people. I'm really, I'm limited. It's just one, one of me. Yeah. But if I can help to educate coaches and then they're going out coaching their respective athletes, I get to reach more people that way. Um, and I can have a bigger influence. So I'm quite fortunate that I've probably managed to help thousands of young athletes. Mm. Um, in my coach career, my, you know, and even my running through talks and stuff like that. Yeah, I've, um, I've given back. <laughs> I've given back. So yeah, I do. That's what I do. That's what I do. That's dope. That that is incredible. That is that is really mm. great. Wow. Are, are, do you are you self coach then? When when you train, do you coach yourself? Yeah, I have been for oh the best part of maybe eight years now. Wow. So I left my coach. I stopped working with my last proper coach at the end of the 2012 season um, and decided that I was going to take more responsibility for my career. I was getting extremely frustrated. Um, not with him, but just with my career. And yeah, I decided to take responsibility. Right. I spoke to him. I said I was going to write my own training program. Yeah. He told me that's ridiculous, don't do it. And I was like, no, nope. I was sticking to my guns. And that indoors, I think I ran a personal best every race. And I haven't looked back since. Um, yeah, taking the responsibility, you know, gave, gave me back my, my zest for the sport. And also, you know, more importantly, got me back racing fast. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I, I had some of the best years of my career in that period. Um, so yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, self coach and I still tap into, you know, that's not to say I don't take advice from other coaches um, and take guidance from them. Maybe jump in on technical sessions. I see Steve Fudge on occasion for some technical help. I think he's a fantastic coach. Yeah. Um, I speak to Michael Afalaka from time to time. Jonathan Barber's a big help to me. Um, Daniel Plummer, Dwayne Chambers. No. Um, yeah, I will tap into people and I don't pass up an opportunity to speak to a coach. But if I see Linford, anytime I see Linford Christie, I ask him a question. Even if I think it's ridiculous, Sorry, yeah, yeah. I still ask him. Because when you've got someone who's not only the best sprinter we've ever had, right. 
but also one of the most successful coaches we've ever had yeah. in a sprint. You, you'd be silly not to ask, so mm-hmm. I make sure I do. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike McFarlane, when I see he's a former coach of mine, um, I still pick his brain. Um, I still call my old coach Dave Lease as well. Uh, if I speak to Christian Malcolm, I ask him something. Uh, Darren Campbell, all of them. Lloyd Cowan, Lorna Booth, just anybody. I yeah. just think you can learn. There's so much. These people got so much knowledge. Yeah, yeah, They've yeah, been yeah. in the game, some of them, 40 years. Right. Wow. I just, I have to know. Awesome. So, yeah, on the back of that, what is your, like, where do you see yourself in a couple of years' time? Like, obviously, this is the Visions podcast, and we believe that everyone here has a vision. All the people that come on here should have kind of a vision of what they want to do. You kind of pointed that out in terms of coaching. But in terms of, do you see, do you see yourself, like, building, like, your own kind of coaching facilities or doing anything, like, big major for the sport in terms of any projects or something like that to give back to, to the community, to give back to the sport itself? And then, uh-huh. sorry, before you answer, yeah, um, I want to add on top of that. Do you see yourself in a bigger role within British athletics, possibly, um, oh. or something like that? Maybe being alongside the team, maybe part of one of the relay coaches. That they have so yeah. many different roles within British yeah. athletics that allows you to go to some of these competitions, etc. Yeah. So, what are your plans on that? Because I imagine you, you definitely have the resume to be able to involve yourself in those sort of things if you wanted to do so. Yeah, yeah, I think if. Given the opportunity, I think I'd like to go to a major championship to, as a coach some part. You know, I'd rather go as an athlete, but um, <laughs> if I could go as a coach, if I could go as a coach, that would be tremendous. Um, whether I get the opportunity or not, I don't know. Um, I can be a little bit of an outlier, so sometimes outliers don't fit the system. But um, we'll see. I think being able to help more people is definitely something I, I want to do. Um, I'm not quite sure in what capacity because um, I think taking a, a training group per se is a massive responsibility. I've mm. done it in the past and it's tough. It's tough. Um, that's why I really like doing like people coming to me to do the technical stuff. I prefer mm. that because um, otherwise it just takes over your life. Um, yeah. So it's difficult. So testament to all the coaches out there that are doing that day in, day yeah. out. Um, yeah. I, I really do. It's um, a good question. I would love to have my own facility. Um, so if there's any investors watching, um, <laughs> I'll please, make sure they watch this. I'll plug them to watch this. <laughs> yeah, please get in touch. Please get in touch. Um, that would be that would be incredible because I think then if yeah. you've got that base, you can you can take things to a different level. Definitely, um, definitely. Yeah, that would be tremendous. But just to keep keep doing what I'm doing. Um, I do a lot of health and well-being work as well for a company called The Future. Awesome. Um, and that's been, that's been amazing. Really just helping people yeah. with their health and improving their, their lifestyle. Awesome. I think that makes a massive... You change people's lives doing that. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Any opportunity I can get to, to help and guide people, I take it. Um, I'm a big believer in, you know, I haven't come here by myself. There's been a lot of people along the way, even though I've coached mm. myself for a lot of my career, a lot of mm. people have helped me in that guidance and, you know, the guidance I can impart to young athletes that maybe I didn't get when, when I most needed it. Right. If I can do that for people, then I'm happy to do so. Um, mm. Because it, it's a difficult sport to navigate. 
and being a young person, especially in this world now, is incredibly difficult. And there's so right. many distractions and yeah. any guidance and help you can get, the more more's the better. Yeah, each one to so, yeah. yeah. But I'll tell you what I would love to do. I'll tell you what I'd love to do. I'll put this out there to the universe. I would love to be a conditioning coach for a boxer in a world title fight. That's uh, like <laughs> that for me, that's as big as that's as big as the Olympics. Like, I'm a huge boxing fan. So mm. do something like that. Be ringside. Be ringside in Vegas for a title fight. WBC. Come on. So do you think, so you have the knowledge uh, and you have the knowledge to be able to coach a, a pro boxer leading up to a title fight, would you say? Only their conditioning, only their conditioning, only, the only conditioning. their conditioning. Not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with a boxing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> although, although I'm, I'm qualified to teach a little bit of boxing, I'm not, I'm not a boxing coach by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the conditioning. It's amazing. All day. You should get in touch with day. some. You should get in touch with some some boxers. I mean, there's probably a fair few British you know what? boxers um, within London. I've, I've had I've had a few I've had a few opportunities. Um, it just hasn't. I was just doing something else at that time, mm. and I couldn't I couldn't change my schedule because um, I committed to some work, and it was a it was a big name fighter, and I was a bit disappointed. But I, wow. just, I just couldn't do it at the time. But you never know what um, what the future holds. You never know. Wow. So, Fingers crossed. Yeah. When it's your time, it's your time. Definitely. I just say as well, guys, what what you guys are doing on this podcast is really important because you're informing people. And I think if you can give people good information, that's the key. Definitely. And so I salute you two, brothers, for doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, a, it's amazing. So, and thank you again, for agreeing to come on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm truly grateful. That's been a pleasure. Uh, anytime. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, guys. Cool. That's, this has been Visions Podcast. It's your boy Des. It's been JT. And Aiden signing off. Thank you, people. We've got more episodes coming soon. Stay blessed and be on the lookout for more.